Thank you. 
seated. Thank you. Thank you, worship team. Welcome to New Life Church. My name is Rob Bransma. I'll be your host here this morning. I have the privilege of being your host and guiding you through this service, this first part of the service here. Uh, let's call down the uh, Little Lights and Kids Church. Those kids can come on down and receive a blessing before they head off to their, their service downstairs. So Little Lights, you are ages three to five. And the Kids Church, you are grades one to five. So come on down, sit in front here. Leaders and parents, you guys are welcome to come on down too. I was talking with Mark earlier, and she was saying that um, it was Jake's birthday today, but he didn't want to have his birthday, uh, happy birthday song today. So we won't embarrass Jake and sing him happy birthday. Well, it's Stu Baker's birthday. Happy birthday, Stu. Awesome. Stu, you don't look a day over 59. Um, Okay, let's uh, pray a blessing over our kids here. Uh, Congregation, if you're comfortable enough just to extend a hand uh, to uh, bless these kids here. Okay. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for these boys and girls, and we ask that you bless them and bless their leaders as they learn more about your truthful word. Open their hearts and minds to receive your love. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, little lights, you guys can head out to the left. And Kids Church, head out to my right. And Big People Church, you can just uh, sit tight for a minute. On my way to church this morning, I realized something. uh, That we're still over a month away from the days getting a little bit longer each day. But on the bright side, there's still 35 more sleeps until Christmas. So the countdown is on. Uh, We're so happy that you're here today uh, joining us for church. Um, We hope that you experience God's love uh, today, this morning. And how many have uh, experienced God's love this week? It's not funny, Bob. It's a question. I don't know what was funny about that. It's a serious question. (laughs) Gloria, can you keep them in line over there? Um, If you're a guest this morning, welcome here. Uh, We hope that you fill out a Connect card, and you can find those available in the seat in front of you. Uh, And fill that out, and bring it to the info booth uh, in the back after church, and you'll receive a free gift. If you're a little bit uncomfortable maybe like communicating with people one-on-one, you can also go online and go to the New Life website, 
And uh, to get your free gift, type in promo code Pastor Nathan is on sabbatical to receive your free gift. Again, the promo code Pastor Nathan is on sabbatical. P A S T O R N. Man, they could have picked a shorter promo code for that. Um, and if you're online this morning, thank you for joining us. Uh, we encourage you to comment and interact with others uh, online. Um, but today we're going to do something different. You can only comment by using emojis. So communicate using emojis. Do your best. And the most uh, creative emojis uh, wins a bag of our ethically grown coffee. Um, and to claim that coffee, go on to the New Life website. Type in promo code Pastor Sean is now in charge. So, man, these are long promo codes. They get something shorter. Um, all right. The announcements here. So New Life Connects is starting up next week, November 26th. That's seven sleeps away. Uh, and these will be happening for three consecutive weeks. Uh, this class will follow the Sunday service from 12 to 2. And lunch will be provided as well. So these are classes that you can um, learn more about baptism. Uh, think if you're thinking about profession of faith or membership here at New Life. And just, or even just how New Life runs, inner workings, meeting some of the staff. Uh, come on out and uh, just connect with the office. And again, go online. And to sign up, you can type in promo code. There is no promo code for that. All right. Um, and also today is the At Your Table Potluck. Uh, so we've been doing a series uh, called At the Table. And I think uh, today is the potluck, potluck lunch uh, day. So if you signed up for that last week, you should have received an email that would uh, give you the address for where you're going. Uh, if you did not receive that email, maybe just check in with a New Life staff member after the service to... Uh, to get your address there. Um, and just, uh, just a note, this is not a free babysitting service either. So you can't just drop your kids off with a bag of Cheetos and say, see you later. Though that thought did cross my mind. Um, I, know, I know this probably wasn't easy to organize, this big potluck lunch. Uh, so I want to just uh, recognize those that put all the time and effort into organizing this uh, and also those that are hosting. So thank you for opening your house and for those that, who uh, put all this together. So maybe we can give them a round of applause just to say thank you. All right. Uh, our offering today is for the Benevolent Fund. And I always have a tough time saying Benevolent Fund. I don't know, tough time saying that five times fast. Um, this fund is administered by our deacons and our deacon team to help family and friends of New Life Church. Uh, this fund also helps those with uh, Christian school tuition as well. Uh, this fund is a huge blessing to all those that receive it. And if you or someone you know uh, could, could use some of the financial assistance in this regard, uh, please reach out to our, our deacon team. Uh, if you're given uh, your uh, offering electronically, you can see on the ways on the screen behind me uh, online. And um, just make sure that you fill out your full name and the gift designation as well. And if you don't do that, then we don't know where it's going to. So we'll just gladly accept that and put it in the New Life General Budget. So um, let's pray uh, for the offering this morning. Dear Jesus, we thank you for your many, many blessings. And you are truth and light in a world that is sometimes dark. And we pray that you multiply the gifts 
given today and that you may touch the lives of those that receive it with your transforming love. We thank you for our deacon team and the work they do to disperse these funds. We thank you, Jesus, in your name, amen. So now we'll have our fellowship time. Uh, If you're new here, the three-minute fellowship time is just a a way to kind of mingle and uh, get to meet those around you. And uh, we encourage you to meet somebody new. And you can also give your gifts, your offerings in the boxes in front as well. And uh, for a conversation starter, uh, you can ask your neighbor where they're going for lunch today. So thanks again for having me. And we'll start the three-minute countdown now. That shines through, and I can feel this God song rising up in me.
tied to the tongue of the cats. Hold loosely how we expect Jesus to act. Yes, his character, teaching, and truth are firm. But his actions and how he speaks to us through his spirit should keep us soft and flexible as he transforms and grows us according to his purpose. Our daily walk with him ought to allow our spirit of wonder, imagination, delight, and curiosity in the ordinary of our day. The ordinary now of Passover is only in that it is known and expected. Jews from all over have gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate and remember God's deliverance of his people, Israelites, from the horror and bondage of the Egyptians. A meal specific to Jewish people. Every year, the Jews gather around the table, ate unleavened bread, to remind themselves that God told them to literally eat and run. They slaughtered a lamb to remember their ancestors were told to put the blood of an unblemished lamb on the doorpost so that the angel of death would literally pass over their house and spare the life of the firstborn son in Israel. By this time, the Israelites were spared judgment from God, and they were also told to eat the meat of the lamb for sustenance for the journey to freedom. There were other rituals and observances kept to remind the Jewish people of who their God was and what he had done for them. God himself is the host of Israel. But before that, God himself is the host of creation. He created the place, the time, and people who would build and subdue the earth. Hospitality begins with God's covenant love when he creates and places Adam and Eve in the garden. And as we read the Old Testament, we see stories of God the host, God the guest, and the people being host and guest to one another. Psalm 34, verse 8, encourages us to Taste and see that the Lord is good. And in Psalm 23, David the psalmist writes, You prepare a table before me. Hospitality is God ordained. He offers abundance, an earthly home for the here and now, and a future eternal home. He is generous and provides for our basic needs and our souls. God invites us to come to Him, rest, and be satisfied. In Isaiah 55, He says, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk, without money and without cost. And he comes in person to us. In Matthew 1.23 we read, And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And in Matthew 11, verse 28, Jesus invites, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I hope by now, as you've walked together through this series of the Gospel of Luke, you've been able to separate North American hospitality, which for many means inviting family and close friends over and over and over and over again, or paying a hotel or Airbnb to let you sleep there. I hope that you're separating that from the radical yet ordinary hospitality of the Bible, a hospitality that invites the stranger the lonely, the widow, the orphan, or an enemy or neighbor into your space and my space, into our lives. A hospitality that combines God's abundance, grace, and mercy with his call in Matthew 25. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. 
I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit. And also the command in Romans 12, verse 13, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. A hospitality that Jesus preaches and teaches and lives on earth. A hospitality Jesus shows while once again observing the Passover. A time and a place where God was again saying, don't ever, 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 ever forget what I have done for you. Remember, remember, remember how I saved you. This then is a particular meal. The timing, the place, the guests, the host, food, everything about it is traditional, expected, normal, and safe. Until it isn't until Jesus surprises. The disciples are meeting Jesus again. They've already met him several times, in the streets, in familiar homes, in strange homes, in the temple, in the boat, in the quiet, in the crowds. They have seen Jesus turn water into wine, heal the lepers, the demon-possessed, the lame, raise the dead, feed the 5,000, and walk on water. They've heard him preach, challenge the temple leaders, and reprimand the wind. This Passover meal, then, is just one more thing that the disciples do with Jesus. And again, Jesus will surprise them, as he often does, even if they, like us, don't always see it or understand it. But let's back up a moment. Does Jesus' guest list surprise you? His last meal before he dies, and he invites his inner circle. On one hand, it makes perfect sense, but on the other, no parents, no siblings or extended family. He invites the 12 disciples because he has called, taught, and traveled with them. And as Jesus heartfully says later in Luke 22, verse 28, you are the ones who have stuck it out with me through the trials I've had to endure. As we continue to read, note also what Jesus doesn't say at this meal. It's a dead man walking meal. Jesus is going to be crucified within 24 hours. Jesus doesn't use this meal to network, reminisce about their last three years together, or allow for a last-minute question-and-answer period, or further explain some parables, or even give last-minute instructions about policy, to-do lists, and passwords. But what he does say will surprise. He's changing the liturgy, and he's going to introduce a new meal. He's going to host the meal, and he's going to be the meal. He's going to present himself as the ultimate sacrifice. Up until now, the liturgy for the evening has been highlighting the Old Covenant, the promise God made to the Jewish forefathers and the Israelites. The Passover has highlighted their deliverance by God from Egypt, bondage, and slavery. So we'll continue reading in Luke 22 at verse 14. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. I just lost my place. Just one moment, please. Uh, 
And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Jesus has been looking forward to celebrating the Passover with his disciples. Not simply just to be with them, but this meal precedes his suffering, his submitting to the will of his Father for the sake of mankind. Around this table, the rituals have been observed, prayers spoken, remembering the salvation of the Israelites from Egypt, particular foods have been eaten, they are drinking wine, singing hymns, and then Jesus fulfills the old covenant and creates a new covenant, it seems, in a single moment. Passover highlights Israel's suffering and God's rescue from slavery. Jesus is highlighting his suffering and God's rescue from sin. Jesus is again bringing together old and new, guest and host, heaven and earth, the past, present, and future. It's all coming together at this meal. Jesus, the host, is not only going to fill their stomachs with food, but he's going to fill their souls with truth and hope. He's preparing them and us to not only share in his suffering and death, but also in his resurrection and victory. He gives thanks takes the bread and wine, announces it's his body and blood, which will be broken and poured out for all. As host, Jesus will serve the bread and wine and serve the ultimate sacrifice, himself. He submits to the will of his Father, and he who had no sin became sin for us. He adds that he's not going to do this meal again until he returns. But in the meantime, his disciples, the early church, and every believer since and going forward must do this meal until he returns. Don't ever, 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 ever forget who I am and what I've done, Jesus says. Remember, remember, remember who I am and what I've done. But don't simply remember me on paper or in your head or once a month. Believe it. Immerse yourself in me. Use this meal to remain and abide in Jesus. Let it renew and refresh you on your Christian walk. Let this meal sustain you, give you nourishment for the journey. Participate in the suffering of Jesus, yet also the future joy. This is where the disciples and believers since are renewed and refreshed. This meal is where we encounter the living Christ once again. In a moment with his words and actions, his upcoming death and resurrection, Jesus moves the Old Covenant, a covenant of promise, prophecy, circumcision, sacrifices, and Passover, into a new covenant, a covenant of promise, hope, waiting, expectation, longing, and fulfillment. In the same breath as Jesus says, I'm looking forward to eating this meal with you before I suffer, he also says, I'm not going to eat it again with you until I come again, until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. It's going to be different the next time because he will come in glory and sit down with his redeemed people. It won't just be the disciples at the table. It will be all those who have called on the name of the Lord and been saved. In some ways, the Lord's Supper, this sacrament, is, as Steve Atkerson says, a rehearsal dinner for the wedding banquet of the Lamb. As literally mentioned in Revelation 19, verse 9, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. The Lord's Supper helps us to stay spiritually hydrated. It gives us sustenance. The bread and wine represent his body and blood. 
The bread reminds us that he's the living bread. The wine or juice reminds us that he's the true vine, and we need to stay attached, abiding in him. It is from him we get life. Of all the elements in the Passover meal, Jesus uses two, bread and wine. He's breaking the bread of the new covenant, not a piece of the old sacrificial lamb. Jesus fulfills the old covenant and brings in a new covenant. The old covenant rituals, ceremonies, rules, and regulations of the feasts, tabernacle, and temple were instituted by God to set his people apart and to guide their worship. The new covenant also means we're a people set apart, and although the law shows us our sin, we live under grace. It's the last time a young lamb will be sacrificed for the purpose of atoning for sin, because Jesus, the perfect lamb, has been sacrificed. Now, it might be that you sit here and you simply cannot relate to what the Israelites were commanded to do in terms of ritual, ceremony, custom, and sacrifice of Passover. But you may unknowingly find yourself with one foot in rituals, traditions, legalism, and good works that you think are needed to be made righteous or right with God. And the other foot is in the promise that Jesus offers in John 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus doesn't do half and half, half our willpower, our good works, and half his. Jesus does it all, and once and for all. You and I need to be fully immersed in the new covenant. In him, we are a new creation. The old has died. Jesus has given his disciples and we, the church, a new way. Sacrifice and salvation is by and through him alone. This Last Supper also gave the disciples and early church and us a new meal and a new memory. And this new meal isn't for Jews only. It's being offered to anyone and everyone that accepts his gift of salvation, everyone who calls Jesus Lord, everyone the Holy Spirit draws to himself. This command to do in remembrance of me unites people through him, through his death and resurrection. At the table with his disciples, Jesus has, is, and will announce again that by breaking the bread, his body, and drinking of wine, his blood, he is reconciling them and us to God so that we may freely sit at the Lord's table. At this table, you're not an outsider. If you are in Christ, you are welcome. And we always need to be scooching over to set another place at the table. After all, at some point, room was made for you and I. But this Last Supper isn't quite done yet. Jesus has barely finished announcing a brand new remembrance meal, symbolizing the new covenant when he announces that he will be betrayed. So Luke 22, starting at 24. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed. But woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. A dispute also rose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you're not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who's greater, the one who's at the table? or the one who serves. Is it not the one who's at the table? But I'm among you as one who serves. 
You are those who have stood by me so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. The disciples have just participated in a meal with a new life-changing meaning. Jesus then warns them that someone at the table is going to betray him. Judas, the betrayer, is eating with Jesus. Yet Jesus, as the ultimate host, extends grace and mercy to every guest until the very last minute. In fact, even while on the cross, he welcomes the dying thief to his eternal table. The disciples are barely done wondering who the betrayer is when they begin to quarrel over who will be considered the greatest. Jesus reminds them yet again that the greatest must be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. Like us sometimes, short memories, these disciples. John 13 records Jesus literally showing what it means to serve by doing the work of a servant and washing the disciples' feet just prior to this meal. Jesus continues to transform our thinking and understanding. Jesus is still undoing the disciples' thinking about what it means to be great. He's still wanting to get across that his kingdom does not look or act like man's kingdom. To this day, his kingdom and rule still surprises us in what it looks like and who's invited to the table. His kingdom and rule are marked by his sacrifice and his servant heart and hands. In his kingdom, we are called to receive one another as guests and as hosts, to serve as Jesus did and out of gratitude to God for salvation. This command to serve one another is rooted in the unconditional love of Christ, in the light of God's hospitality. Arthur Sutherland, a Catholic theologian, says from the perspective of each one of us as a host. Ah, I made an error in the PowerPoint, so that's my fault, so you're going to have to listen. Sorry, that's the next quote. This quote, perspective of each one of us as host. In light of Jesus' life, death and resurrection and return, Christian hospitality is the intentional, responsible, and caring act of welcoming or visiting in either public or private places, those who are strangers, enemies, or distressed, without regard for reciprocation. And then Arthur Park, author Parker Palmer gives the perspective of the guest. Real hospitality means being received openly, warmly, freely, without the need to earn your keep or prove yourself. An inhospitable space is one which we feel invisible, or visible, but on trial. A hospitable space is alive with trust and goodwill, rooted in a sense of our common humanity. When we enter such a space, we feel worthy, because the host assumes we are. Here, there are no preconceptions about how we should or must be. Here, we are accepted for who and what we are. And who doesn't want to be at that table? That is the table the Spirit sets through us as Christ followers. The kind of table we need to sit at or set and host or be the guest at in Jesus' name. It is at these tables where we meet neighbors and strangers and invite them to be friends. We do it because Jesus commands it, and it's to be taken seriously. As Rosaria Butterfield writes in her book, the gospel comes with a house key. And we do it because the purpose of radically ordinary hospitality is to take the hand of a stranger and put it in the hand of the Savior, to bridge hostile worlds and to add to the family of God. At these ordinary tables, whether in our home, a coffee shop, 
in the work lunchroom, whether guest or host, we also need to do this in remembrance of him. It's where we anticipate, connect, and are nourished. We live the kingdom of God here on earth. And at these tables, time slows down. We meet people from different backgrounds and different opinions. At these tables, all are welcome because Jesus is there. This table of Christ was lived out in the early church as recorded in Acts 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is still what church is and needs to be today. We live in a world that is not very hospitable to Christians. This world needs Christians to live out their hospitality calling, to swap out hostility for hospitality. It means some of us have to start with repentance for simply not wanting to do it. And it might be that you and I need to learn how to do it. But that is the constant state of being a disciple, becoming like Christ. Christian hospitality might not come naturally to you or I, and there might be several starts and stops along the way, often like our whole walk with Christ. There will most likely be moments of messy, not getting it quite right, and sacrifice. Jesus himself was single, had no visible income during his earthly ministry, and doesn't appear to have owned a home. So, we know biblical hospitality is not dependent on marital status, income, house, or even gender. It is not a special gift given to a select few. It's simply about loving Jesus and then loving our neighbor. We do it out of gratitude for who he is, for the sacrifice of his life for our sin. We share who we are and what we have, not waiting until you or I have more or become a better person. And who knows how the Holy Spirit might surprise you or I when we follow Jesus' lead to be a host, a guest, and to serve. The Holy Spirit will do the transforming, and God will provide. And in the way of hospitality, let's proclaim the Lord's life, death, and resurrection until he comes again. Let's pray. Lord, Where would each one of us be if you had not invited us to the table? May we stand in front of you, kneel in front of you in humility, um, in a posture, Lord, of our hands open to receive your blessings, your sacrifice, and your love for us. And we ask that you would forgive those of us here uh, who would rather not host, would rather not have people over, and would simply rather not want to get to know other people or strangers or neighbors, the people that you have called us to be friends with. We thank you for your Holy Spirit, that you do the guiding work in us, that you are always in the process of sanctifying us, cleansing us, and working us towards who you call us to be. We pray, Lord, that you would bless new life as a community, as they host this neighborhood, this community, as each person here, Lord, has a place to be, to be a host or a guest. We ask that you would bless their lunch this afternoon. Uh, May it be a wonderful time, and may there be some surprises along the way, too.
Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your meal, for your Lord's Supper. And thank you for dying and rising for us. In your name we pray. Amen.
Please have a seat. We've been going through the sermon series called At the Table to learn what it means to practice hospitality. And it is at this table, at the table of his last meal with his disciples where Jesus tells them that he's about to practice the most radical hospitality, that is to sacrifice himself for the sake of serving others. And every time we gather to partake in this meal together, we remember that even though we are unworthy to receive his love, Jesus yet died for us to save us from the wrath of God because he loves us. Therefore, all who are truly sorry for their sins, who sincerely believe in the Lord Jesus as their Savior, and who desire to live in obedience to him as Lord, are invited and welcome to partake in this meal with gladness. And on the way, if you have not received the communion elements, please raise your hand at this moment, and our communion servers will come to you and pass these elements to you. At his last supper with his disciples, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat. This is my body given for the forgiveness of your sins. Then he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to his disciples, saying, drink, drink from it, all of you. This is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for the many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. As followers of Jesus Christ, whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, not only do we proclaim Jesus' death until he comes, but we also set our gaze toward the future, the future hope of sharing this meal with Jesus in his kingdom. So with grateful hearts, let us take together the bread and eat, remembering and believing that the body of our Lord Jesus Christ was given for the complete forgiveness for all our sins. And in these elements, it's the lid with the blue letters. Let's peel that off together. And take the, take the bread and eat together. Let us also take the cup and drink, remembering and believing that the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ was poured out for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. 
Let's drink together. Let's pray. Eternal God, Heavenly Father, you have graciously accepted us as living members of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And you have fed us with spiritual food in the sacrament of his body and blood. Send us now into the world in peace and grant us by the help of your Spirit strength and courage to love and to serve you with gladness and purity of heart, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Let's stand as we respond in song.
as you share your meals with one another today after service, remember and thank Jesus for the ultimate hospitality that he has shown you. May your time together bring glory to God and may it be a blessing to one another. So now receive these words from the book of Hebrews as your benediction today. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever.